You know, I was looking for my Bible this morning, and I couldn't find it, and it's appeared here. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. I don't know. <laughs> no, whoever did that, thank you. Um, now I've prepared not to have it. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, who was here for our Passover on Friday? Wow. Um, I don't know about you, but um, um, my spirit um, just was filled with joy on the evening. Um, just seeing the, the unity and just this real thing pouring out from the people here. Did anybody else sense that? Can, I mean, really, don't you know, not just, I really believe that was happening. Um, and, you know, I, whatever our uh, our king and our groom and our savior is doing right now, it's um, it's happening all over the world. It's kind of neat, and it's very organic. Um, it's not like we've managed to all go to the bride conference or something, and we, you know, we're sort of, you know, here's our books, and um, but there's the spirit, his his Holy Spirit is pouring out across the world right now, and um, just more and more, I think we're gathering and reflecting on perhaps the way that he asked us to think about things and this whole challenge of truth and tradition. But as we do that, um, um, there's just a few things that kind of seem sometimes a little bit foreign. But his truth is his truth. And um, it's it's a beautiful thing in its entirety, and it's not something that we should run away from. And I was thinking, as I was coming, <laughs> coming to speak today, I was thinking, what shoes can I wear when I speak? Because Greg has these incredible <laughs> shoes. So I'm actually standing on the step here so you can just see it. And I couldn't think of a better place for the serpent than dead and at my feet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can't quite compete with yours, Greg. But um, but anyway, so I wasn't going to put them on. I thought, no, you know, we're celebrating... Um, resurrection life and honoring that um, and the term the term would be from a um, from a Hebrew lens is happy first fruits he is our first fruit and um, he is the acceptable offering uh, to the father and he has overcome that we may now overcome and, and enter into that um, enter into life so um so I wanted to say as we go forward here, um, there's going to be a little, a few little things that you might just wonder and ask questions about. Um, because, you know, we have a, we have a menorah lit over here and we even had a, a praise and worship song with Hebrew in it. <laughs> and it kind of, kind of gets people asking, well, where is this headed? You know, what's going on here? And for anybody who doesn't know, this is where you're headed. Now, we have a long way to go because I don't find a lot of people that look like this in here. No, we are not trying to become Jewish. Um, We're not trying to become a part of some movement or some anything strange that... um, 
that sometimes, you know, people get concerned about. And look, the reason why I'm raising this is the thing that I've seen develop in this house, my wider family that I get a chance to fellowship with, and certainly some of the the uh, times and trials I've been through in, in walking with uh, Greg and just some of the things that we had to, you know, we've had to contend with and some of the others here and those who have just walked with me over the years um, know how painful sometimes things are. Um, does anybody know that tradition is a very powerful thing? It really is. But did you know that God's trying to lead us to truth? And it doesn't mean that all tradition doesn't have truth. <laughs> a lot of tradition has truth. Um, but it's, it's not about mostly truth. He wants to lead us unto all truth. Does that? So, so we don't have anything to be scared of. And what I love seeing here and where people are getting real, and I mean this sincerely, this isn't just to say something to you, to make you feel good. There is extreme pendulums here of legalism and cheap and grace. And uh, I am guilty of being on both sides, I promise you. And I, have, I see a lot of times a church that is sort of swinging from one end to the other. Um, some of you may or may not be able to appreciate that um, as we grapple with truth. Sometimes we can sit on one side more than the other. But if we're willing to walk together, we don't have to cheapen what he's done. And we don't have to legalize it and do away with what he's done. We actually can, can walk in this place of spirit and truth where we actually can know him. And you, you need to believe this. This isn't a religious thing. It's not tradition. It's not ticking boxes. We glibly sometimes say, oh, it's about a relationship. But then we live our lives and the, and, the, and the hard times come and the things happen and we sit there and we go, you know what? Where's this relationship? And then we feel condemned, don't we? No. Oh. We're not to live in these places. We're to live in life. Let's... Let's walk together and let's allow Him to show us and allow Him to be the one that takes us to the place where we find life. Because if you're willing to do that, we, there is a promise that He has made to us that is so great, that is so fantastic, that is so beautiful. We don't have to worry about all these things that may sit inside us that he's just kind of working through. So, what about a heart? What about the love matter? Well, to be honest with you, I don't even think it's a question. He is love, and it's all about our hearts. And he will challenge the very essence of who we are to circumcise our hearts. Those who have walked closely with me over the years, they know the journey I've been on. And it's been a crushing. It had to be. Does any of, I said this on Sunday, but for those who weren't here um, to make the point, I tend to listen better in my valleys when I'm seeking Him 
Not in my mountaintops when everything's a-okay. That doesn't mean that he doesn't enjoy being in the mountaintops with us and seeing his full line of sight and his truth and his beauty. But sometimes walking through the valley of the shadow of death is necessary. And in fact, we have the ultimate God because he didn't just tell us to go through it. He literally walked the talk. And he didn't cheat on this one. He knew what it was like to be tempted. This wasn't a game. He did overcome. Guess what? That blood on that cross, it was real. He really did die. This isn't God just playing a game and saying, oh, well, you do it. You know, this is all your problem. He's taking responsibility for his plan of salvation. And there's real, real beauty and hope in that. Because he actually has it under control. It's not just, oh, well, God's got it all under control. No, he does. He created this. He wrote it in the heavens. He put his plan out. He created the actors that would live it so that we would understand who he is. And we are now walking this out in this little span we call life. And the thousands and millions of our brethren that have gone before us, that we stand on the shoulders of, of those who have gone through this very thing that we may be here today, thousands of years later, Still knowing there's a truth, a life, a hope, and a God who died for us and who's going to raise us to a resurrected life. How did we get here? Like, look at this. How did it really happen if it wasn't Him? So what's the Bible really all about? I have a way of trying to simplify everything. Somebody asked me, we were, I remember one evening, this was a few years ago, and they were saying, oh, well, what do you think your gift is and that sort of a thing? And it came to me and I was kind of like, I don't know, a gift of talking too much. <laughs> That's about the only thing I could come up with. I mean, and, and it's true. It's true. Um, but that's okay. He's simplifying things with me. He's working, working things out with me too. But it's becoming simpler for me now. The simplicity that is found in Messiah that Paul was warning about to the church at Corinth. That they were being taken away from something. It was happening 2,000 years ago. Warning that this would happen. And yet there's this beautiful simplicity but I want to say this. He may not be wide and shallow, our God. He is narrow. And he is, and he has given us to us in a matter that is in a beautiful, beautiful simplicity. But I'll tell you something. I still can't see the bottom of how deep it is. It's deep. And every week, it seems, there's just something that he's showing me or delivering or just through experiences of others and walking together as a body and trying to be in discipleship and these sorts of things. And you just start to realize, wow, this is incredible. And if we do this as a body, as a family, I believe we will truly see the power of our God come through us as vessels. To a world that needs to see his light in us. Not Curtis Reed's light. Not my version of things. To actually see him. I got a long way to go. But as the fullness of him comes in me. Guess, guess who leaves? It is 
it's not less of me is more of him. It's more of him is less of me. There's not room for two of us <laughs> in that sense. Although I am the vessel, you are the vessel, we are the donkeys, if you will, that he's choosing to ride in on. And 2,000 years ago, he rode in on a donkey and announced himself, I am the one. And um, 2,000 years later, he's still announcing himself on the back of donkeys, at least this one. But there's a beauty in this, right? Because that donkey he loves, and guess what he returns with when this is all over? He's riding what? A beautiful white horse. A real symbol of a transformation, a glorification. This is right throughout Scripture how beautiful this actually gets. So with your permission, I'd like to simplify this down and share it to you this way. We're in a marriage covenant. And I believe from Genesis right through to Revelation, the 66 books that we do have that make up our Bible, are screaming, you are in a covenant that has come at a great cost that has a fantastic ending. And let no one stop you from just continuing to seek this out. And he's built this into the creation design. Anybody who's been in a marriage covenant so far, who's been in a marriage covenant in the physical? There's a bit of a few ups and downs, eh? <laughs> Got to work through some issues. How much room is there for two people in a marriage covenant, honestly? The two shall become one. Do you know we've been invited to become one in a plan? And this whole physical foreshadow is a typology of something. In fact, Yeshua would say, oh, by the way, i got to do this. So um, You'll hear me use um, his Hebrew name as we take a trip back 2,000 years ago this morning. Um, um, his Jesus' Hebrew name was Yeshua. Um, I've been led to use that. Anybody who walks with me knows that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask your permission this morning. Can I use his name that I was led to use? And and that's it's a personal thing to me. But I don't want you to feel weird because I keep saying Yeshua. You know, because for some, um, by the way, it's the shortened form form of Yehoshua. And do you know what the actual name means in Hebrew? I don't know if anybody knows what it means. God is my salvation. And in fact, Yeshua, the shortened form, is my salvation. If you, When I read the scriptures now, and it says, you know, and Jesus came into, or Jesus went out, and you read it, and I'm reading it now, and going, and my salvation came into the room. It's amazing. Power and a name, yeah. We, as we look into all of these things, it's okay. It's not that strange just because the way we've traditionally understood something. If somebody says something or celebrating or calling something Passover, who here has thought Passover is a Jewish thing? Put your hand up. It's okay if that's what you want. Did you believe that? Yeah. Um, so did I. Of course, from a marriage covenant, the husband and wife, and then 
her father and his children. So everything's encompassed in what we're going to experience in a human life. And if you notice the attack of the adversary is always after what? The family. Nucleus. Destroy this. And I can destroy the very truths that represent. And the cost of understanding this truth can be high at times. Um, I, I know that personally. So, what we're looking at here is the appointed times, this Passover thing. And we're used to doing the Easter Sunday thing and, the, on, and thinking about it um, in that way. But actually, there's something interesting. Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them concerning the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocation. These are my appointed times. Guess who's speaking here? <laughs> I used to think this Passover thing and some of these feasts and whatnot were all Jewish. Because that's kind of how it's presented. Now in saying this, if it wasn't for the Jewish people and the tribe of Judah, a lot of the things and the truths that have come through that even I would be sharing here with you this morning is because they have preserved and honored something. And we are to be thankful of our brethren and to honor that. Even though I may not be Jewish, I thank God that he preserved for 2,000 years after the temple is destroyed in this dispersion, that there's these truths that were preserved and, and wherever they went, <laughs> they preserved truths for us to talk about. Should I be appreciative of that or should I just say, oh, go away? So these appointed times, however, even when I say to a Jewish person, by the way, that's not your feast. I even have Jewish people going, what do you mean? They do. It's not. They say, oh, well, they're the feasts of Israel. Then Israel, a people, by the way. No, not even the feasts of Israel. These are the feasts of our Father. And they outlay His whole plan of salvation in every single part and component of them, as we're going to see a little bit deeper in May, literally all point to the one who bought you. If there was a whole set of appointed times that God himself laid down for us to know and every single one of them point to the one who died for you, the one who will give you resurrected life, your groom, your king, your Messiah, would you not want to know? Oh, I can't be bothered with that. Yet every ounce of it is pointing to him. If a bride truly loves her groom, would she really say, no, I could care less about all these things that speak about who you are? Would we think of that as a bride who really loves her groom? Or would she hunger and thirst to know everything she can about him? I think she would. And so, when we go through and talk about these things, don't worry. You're not doing the Jewish thing. You're not even doing the Hebrew thing. We're looking at the way he chose to show us. Okay? And let's enjoy that. Let's embrace it. Let's not get caught on these, these extremes to justify why I won't even look. Let's just enjoy what he has to say. Can we do that?
So, this last or these, this past week uh, of Passover, and we are celebrating today on on uh, first fruits. We're going to speak about this in May, not this morning, but we're going to speak about this in May. That every single one of them prophetically speak and point to his first coming. All of them. And in fact, this is what they were celebrating almost 1,500 years plus up until his arrival. And this is why he was able to hold to such account literally the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Why don't you know what you're looking at? This is now being fulfilled. We are celebrating an anniversary perspective. And the point I want to make here is this. Is Again, I mentioned this on Sunday, but for those who weren't there, has anybody ever missed their wedding anniversary? Like, have you forgotten about it? Man, there's no hands going up here. Come on. Maybe just a few minutes beforehand, or you acted like you weren't, or got just off the hook. Or you got lucky because somebody reminded you, and it wasn't your spouse. Look, think of men. You're looking forward to honoring your marriage covenant in the physical, and you're sitting there, and every night you want, every year, sorry, you look forward to this because you love your bride. And every year, she doesn't show up. You make her dinner. You do all these things. Buy her something. You want to show her your love. But she forgot. She doesn't care. It's not necessary. If you love her, do you still love her even though she doesn't show up on the night? Your love's greater than her performance. But that doesn't mean you don't experience a a grief, a sadness. You know, when I finally heard and understood this from a spirit perspective, I realized, my goodness, I'm looking at this whole thing of what it means to me. And never was I truly considering it what it meant to him. That's me, okay? But I am hard of hearing. If, when that hit me, I started to see it in the very typology he's given it to us on. This foreshadowing, this marriage. When I finally could see it for what it was, all of a sudden it became about him. And it wasn't just lip service. Because I'd say that for years, by the way. Oh, it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. Really? Really, Curtis? Sounds good. Looks good. Do you know, I won't even say it's really all about him now because I actually know better. But I'm hoping that I'll get there. And I know he's made promises that I will get there. And he's asked us to do this together so that we may all get there. But I don't want to be playing a game anymore before him. Do you know, has anybody heard the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Do you know the correct translation of that in the English? We actually have a very poor translation on this one. Does anybody know what it is? Yeah. The reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Not fear in the sense of being scared of that which truly loves us and bought us and died for us. But a reverence and a respect and a love that it demands. So we learn this in this human life. And that's okay. Because guess what? A snapshot, Greg and I were speaking about this earlier. A snapshot in someone's life is not their life. It is a snapshot in their life. And guess what? Your story's not over until he says it is. And that includes everyone sitting beside you. So if you want to sit in the seat of Moses for the rest of your life, go right ahead. If you want to cheapen what he did for the rest of your walk, go right ahead. Because that doesn't put his love on the stand, does it? And doesn't put his blood on the stand. But you know what it does tell him? When your wife doesn't show up for your wedding anniversary, there might be a bit of a problem. She doesn't even remember it. I'm not picking on the women here, by the way, but the typology of the church is a bride. Okay? So, as we look into these matters, there is an appointed time that lays this all out, and he's asked us to view it in a marriage covenant. And it is about his first coming, and guess what? He's coming again. And the first time he came as a suffering servant or a lamb. And the next time he's coming as a a king. And you know what's interesting? 2,000 years ago, and we're going to speak about this because I'm going to focus on a little part here in a second of something that was going on during the day of Passover. But these, they were struggling with their traditions to such a degree, in particular Judas and Peter, were struggling with, to such a degree. They were zealots. And zealots believed that the first coming of the Messiah was that he was going to kick some Roman butt. Do you know they were actually expecting a king? A lion? And guess what they got? Do you know a vast portion of the church right now is expecting a lamb? To be coming and guess what we're going to get? Is is this a time for reverence? I encourage you it is. I really do. Walk with each other. Let's find this out. But I'm going to use Peter and Judas today as we talk about something called Gethsemane to, to give you an example of what leaven in the house can do. Because we often think, man, Peter was stupid. You know? How could Judas do what he did? He betrayed. How is that possible? Didn't they believe in the one true God? Do you really think that Judas and Peter and those disciples did not believe in the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you not think that they believed that there was a coming Messiah and the prophecies they had studied and learned their whole lives? So how do you stuff it up? At least in a human sense of looking at this, to this degree. What was in them that they would not let go of? We're going to talk more about that in this leaven, and as we look at the um, as we look at the Passover um, during the month of May and its prophetic fulfillment, and it's beautiful 
and you'll see and look at what they were actually looking at as dress rehearsals for over 1,500 years. And it becomes astonishing how the Pharisees missed it, but it's not if you understand leaven. Just going to put this up here. The actual appointed times and the prophecy that was fulfilled. This is what we'll go over more in May. But we're actually looking at Passover, a feast of unleavened bread, a feast of first fruits. Happy first fruits. You're, we're gathered here today, actually on it, right now. And then this led to the day of Pentecost, where we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Penta being 50 days from today. It's called the counting of the Omar. And is a time of repentance and reflection for his people. So in the next 50 days, we have a lot of reflection. This is what they were looking at in Isaiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to a slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. This is the prophecies of a coming Messiah that they were looking at. Remember, we have the luxury of hindsight. Of course, following it, Paul speaking in Corinthians, clean out the old what? So that you may be a what? Just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. There's a beautiful thing. He became the Passover. He literally fulfilled it. It's okay to know what that is in its beautiful, deep context. We only stand to know more about who he is. And it also might give you a little bit of comfort to know they were contending with this 2,000 years ago. Because you can imagine going through this, um, you're celebrating something, a dress rehearsal. It's called a moedim. actually means dress rehearsal. Dress rehearsal for what? The coming of a Messiah. And every year they were told to do this thing. Why does, you know, the pattern of Yeshua when he was with the disciples, he does three things constantly. Rhetorical questions, parables, and repetition. It's a pattern that actually sits with his teaching. Why would you be talking in parables? Why would you be talking with rhetorical questions and repetition? If you kind of know how to handle a donkey... If you've ever tried to ride a donkey, there's certain things you've got to actually do. You ever, anybody here broken in a horse even? Just to like experience that? You'll know that repetition plays a big part of doing that. You'll know that it's literally over and over and over again. Why? Because we are right now in a fallen state. So he's asking us and showing us and going, look. I'm just asking you, it's my way, it's my truth, it's my life. It's okay. You know what? God's not weird. In fact, actually, it's incredible. 
And just because my unfamiliarity or my non-understanding of something doesn't make it weird. It just means I haven't learned or I don't know. And guess what? That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Because remember the snapshot? We're in the snapshot. So they were contending with this 2,000 years ago from a fulfilled perspective. You imagine you've been generation after generation, and all of a sudden somebody's going, that's it, it's fulfilled. Imagine that. What? The accusations. This can't be the one. This is a false messiah. They had all sorts of things to the point where they would do what? During the actual fulfillment itself, they would make sure. The Roman soldiers might have banged the nails in, right? But who demanded he be put on that cross? The believers. Isn't that incredible? Those who actually knew and worshipped the true God. Not some pagan Romans. They were carrying out the orders. In fact, they were trying to keep a scene there. Even Caesar was what? I know you guys are doing, man, but okay, I'll wash my hands of this. The last thing I need is trouble in the land. These Roman soldiers would be observing a lot of strange stuff that was going on. Became a witness to many of them. But if, if we really, really, really want to look at what's happening, we know that from their perspective, it would be an incredible thing to go, it's been fulfilled, and it's come in a way that you didn't even think Imagine that. Okay, I'm now contending with what? What did they have in their house 2,000 years ago? Leaven. It was in them too, and they were going through it. So it's okay. The pattern is just going through. We're just on the opposite end now. We're coming from the perspective of we've got now four more of these appointed times that have to be fulfilled. We're also going to talk about this in May. And so... When we're there judging the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and demonizing them, I tend to remind people, just be careful what you're saying here. Is it possible that we could find ourselves, and if there were Pharisees, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes today, where would you find them? Not down in Courtney Place on a Friday night. It's not worshiping other religions. And guess what? I'll go even more. Okay. So, let's just take a quick look at something. We traditionally, during the Easter weekend, we traditionally look at, and it has a real focus and has become a real focus, is death, and then we kind of end with life. But this whole thing of the cross is the, the, the thing that tends to be the focus, the death part. Massive part of what he's doing. There's no way we're taking away from that. But that wasn't the whole picture. So if we take a part of the picture and then try and understand the context of something, it can get a little bit wonky. We need to understand what was clearly being done. Did you know that submission was a big part of what led to death? Because without him submitting to the Father and his will this night in a place called Gethsemane, there was no death. And if there was no death, guess what? There was no resurrected what? Life. So the foundations of this come in a very serious place. Now, I'm really, really going, okay, it used to be. This is for me. Okay, he died for me so I can have life. Okay, I like that. 
Well, what do you mean this involves what, me also dying? What are you talking about? You, you die. So, I'm just going to touch on this in Gethsemane. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there who find it. Um, again, in the English, doesn't quite capture this. Um, in the Greek, does anybody know what narrow means in this passage? We often get connotations of a tight little space, don't we? You try and squeeze through something. Do you know what it actually says in the Greek? For the gate is small and the way is crushing. Puts a little bit different connotation on it, doesn't it? The way is crushing that leads to life. So now we go to this place called Gethsemane. Why would he do it after he's broken bread and drank in the wine? And why would he head to Gethsemane? Does anybody know what Gethsemane means? Yes, all of press. Yeah. Man, most people don't know that. Um, all, all of press. This is the place of the pressing of olives. Now, guess what we are grafted into? The olive. Ooh. This is interesting. You start to go, oh, wait a minute. There's kind of this thing that's working if we actually start to understand it. What lights the lamps that they walked through the darkness at that time? Do you know what went in those lamps? Olive oil. Do you mean that there's going to be a light that is a direct result of a crushing? Wow. Gethsemane, the old press. Let's have a look at this real quick. In the Passover, you have a preparation period. You have a cross and you have the resurrection. The preparation of the lamb was what these guys were actually experiencing on the night of Gethsemane. Now, every year in the Moedim, they would prepare the lamb before that evening. By the way, a Hebrew day starts at sundown. And at sundown, they started to eat the um, the day of Passover commenced. But the meal, the Moedim, the dress rehearsal meal, was actually ate at the end of that day, which would be just before sundown the next day. During that day, there is a preparation. You're getting ready to slaughter something. Guess what you're getting ready to slaughter? A lamb. And so he was about to invite his disciples to experience the preparation of the lamb in a place called Gethsemane. The pressing. This is how he did it. Then Yeshua came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Peter, John, and James. And he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Now, do you notice what he's done here? He's gone to the pressing place with 12, correct? Correct. 
And then what's he done when he's got there? Walks away. Says, you three come with me. The three that walked closest with him. And if you understand the gospel accounts, these are the three. One of them is full of leaven still. His name's Peter. So we're going through, and he's walking closely with him. And who does he want beside him? Because he's about to enter into his crushing. Not even the twelve. I want these ones who have walked closest with me. I am about to be crushed. And guess what? Remember, we said he wasn't cheating, right? He's about to experience something that thankfully we will never experience or understand to that level. But we will live foreshadows in our lives because we go through times of hurt and pain. But what he did was, through his discipleship, he had bonded stronger with some others and he wanted these guys with him. But this is how it plays out. So he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, is it possible? Let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Anybody who's been in a serious crushing in their life, and I'm sure there's many, in fact, there may be some here today that are. Okay, right now as we speak. If you've been in that place and you are experiencing the cost of whatever is going on in your crushing, and there will be a cost. Those words will come to life. Is there any other way? No. Not this, Father. Not this. Do not strip me of this. Those times are incredible times for us, but boy, when He is truly breaking us down, this is a time when we need those closest to us to be there with us. He is in the flesh experiencing this, and even then He is modeling how this works. And when He came to His disciples, after praying with the Father, (laughs) what were they doing? Found them sleeping. This is actually a little bit of a pointer to what's called the Feast of Trumpets. There's something in this is really quite special. But everybody heard of the ten, parable of the ten virgins? And five, well, sorry, I used to get this wrong. All ten were what? Yeah, all of them were. But five came awake because they had, and they were able to have light at that time because they had what? That oil. Yeah. Now look at what these look what they're doing here. They're sleeping. And he's going, Can you not watch even for this one hour that he's experiencing this? Has anybody ever heard no man shall know the day nor the hour? We're gonna speak about something in May. And it's incredible how this whole crushing ties into something that is pointing to one of the other Moadims. Or appointed times. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Okay, so I'm going to really get the, make a point on this. If you've really, really experienced a crushing, do you tend to be struggling with the things you normally struggle with in that place? Or are you literally before God in such a place, so crushed, that actually those things don't even matter anymore? 
This is not the place of temptation when the things that you struggle with don't even matter anymore. You are so close and intimate with the Father in those moments that you will not find Lucifer within a galaxy of that place. But guess who is the target now? He's finding these guys are sleeping and pray that you not be tempted. You mean that if I go into my crushing place, those closest around me could possibly be the ones that are actually going to get in trouble, could be asleep, could be tempted, that they may not even walk with me in this time of need? See, he didn't come out going this. Why are you guys praying? Do you know what I'm going through? In fact, he came out and said, man, you guys are in trouble. I'm in a pretty good place. I'm as close and as intimate with the Father I've ever been. You guys, on the other hand, are sleeping on the job. So when somebody in your life is going through a crushing who's around you, instead of feeling sorry for them, that's good advice. Okay, so the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he's, even in this time, he's appreciating, okay, all right, this is what I'm dealing with. He keeps going here. And he went away again the second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. So now he's still going. This isn't a game he's playing just for our sake. He's experiencing this. Is there any other way right now? The sin of the world, our sin is going to be taken shortly upon him. And that which is unleavened is going to become leaven. And our sin has put him on that place. Our sin, not his. But I promise you, his love kept him there. To see this through. And we may opt out of our submission and our death processes and struggle with this, but he did not. He overcame. And that is ultimately what we are celebrating here today, which is the first fruits, which is his resurrection of the one who conquered it. He did it. And so as we learn this process, and sure we fail, sure we make mistakes, sure we get it wrong. But instead of sitting in the seat of the Moses in our snapshots of life, why don't we get beside our brethren and go, you know what? I won't sleep on this watch. I am with you. If we can be that, guess what the scriptures tell us? They will know you by how you love one another. It's pretty easy to love me when everything's going all right. But I'll tell you what, I quickly found out who was walking with me when it wasn't. I happened to enjoy a brother sitting right in front of me that chose to do something that a lot wouldn't. Again, he found them sleeping. A lot of forgiveness going on in here at this page. And it happens, I'll tell you, when you're going through the crush and you really start to learn what forgiveness really means and what circumcision of the heart means. Anybody who's gone through that, you know that. Because people are what? Letting you down. And he's putting it all in here for us to see it and understand it this way. 
Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Behold, you are still sleeping and resting. Behold, the hour is now at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. I'm going to finish here. But before I do, I'm going to put a challenge to you. Because those who have been through serious Gethsemanes in their lives tend to have a greater empathy for those who are going through one. Have you ever had greater empathy after a crushing? You didn't really appreciate what someone was going through and all of a sudden. And it doesn't mean you've gone through the exact same thing. It's not about levels and who's had the, you know, it, it's more about this ability to, to, you know, the ultimate empathy to see from another's shoes, to be able to be there with someone as they go through something. And if we as a body can do this, there may be people right now in this room experiencing their Gethsemane. And wow, that what a place that is. You're in the best place possible. If you're willing to admit me to me that you are going through your Gethsemane right now, I would have you pray for me. Because I know that you're in a more intimate place with him than I am. By the way, if somebody is in the Gethsemane right now, I would love to pray with you after this, if you're willing. Maybe even selfishly, I'd like to pray with you. The power of God working through someone who is going through a crushing and them praying into others' lives and going through this at that time is something unbelievable. And I have seen God work in ways that I couldn't even fathom up until the crushing of my life. Things that I saw even in Africa and, and, and just things he was doing. I'm going, how the heck does this work? I am nothing but dust. I'm gone. I don't have my gift of talking too much. I don't have my uh, confidence, self-confidence or worth or value as the world would see it. But I had a closer walk with Him now. And it was Him that mattered. It was Him that others had to see. It is Him that others have to see. And you are the chosen vessels, the chosen donkeys. And He loves us. And He wants us to participate in this place of sanctification where the sovereignty of God meets the sovereignty of man. And a bride prepares herself. Not in slavery, not in demanding, not in fear, but in an actual invitation of love. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? When it all came down to it, what was he saying to Peter? And Peter admitted it. No, I agape, I'm sorry, I phileo you, which means I love you as a friend. He knew who he was sitting with. He was willing to lie at first, but he didn't finish off that way. But I'll tell you what, and his life ended. It was a beautiful story of repentance and he went unto death for what he loved. So that snapshot didn't define Peter, did it? And it certainly didn't define it when he was pulling the knife out and cutting off ears in Gethsemane, did it? You ever wonder why he did that? He thinks it's time to kick butt now. He really believed it. Okay, here we go. Whack. 
it's his le- it just came out. But this is what it looks. This is how it's going to work. This is what the prophecies are on about. This is this is how I see you. This is my image of Messiah. And you are ruining it for me. I have a sword. What's going on? And these are the disciples. They spent a full year in discipleship with him. You would think that would be pretty good training, wouldn't you? And that leaven's still there. Let's come together as a body at this time. Let's really do it. Let's really do it. Let's walk with one another. Let's enter into discipleship. Let's be there for each other. And those around us that are going through this and are in pain or have been through pain, a pain where they learned and understood these things, come together and share and be a body. Because guess what? He doesn't work through the holy man thing. He is the high priest. He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. And it's not about Christian superstars. We are a body. And I will give to my church these five things. And it is the ground of discipleship that will cultivate it. And that ground includes crushing. It's not just crushing. You're not all going to be in the crushing at the same time. He knows how it works. But it's a part of the process. Let's go through this together because his resurrected life will come. And there will be, and there is a time coming where it will need to be him and us. I'm going to finish with a prayer. Please join me. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you've done and what you're going to do. Father, my prayer for this house, for this fellowship, for my brothers and sisters here, that we will lay down our baggage, our traditions, our legalism, our cheap and grace, our whatever it is that we're bringing to you that just still has flesh in it. Father, I pray that you just, in your way, stir the oil out of us that lights. I pray for your spirit and truth that you'll knit us together as a family. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you for your whole counsel, your whole word, your whole plan. That we may understand how incredible this day is that you have conquered. And you have given us this amazing life that we can enter into. A joy that surpasses all understanding. Even when we're hurting. I pray, Father, for those who would be hurting here this morning. That your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts. That you would bring a body around them that's not sleeping. That knows to walk with them. As you've said in Galatians 6, that we would share in one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Messiah. 
teach us this Father as a body. We lift those people before you and we pray that they have a joy at this time. And even though we don't understand our circumstances, we don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, we know your promises to deliver us. Thank you for this morning, Father, and thank you for being our high priest and our first fruits through your Son and by his blood. Our precious, precious Savior, we lay these prayers before your feet, Father, and we pray that your will be done with us as a body and a fellowship. And we ask this by the blood and the name of your Son, our Savior, our groom, and our King, our precious Yeshua HaMashiach. And everyone said...